I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Sans Pants Radio, Australia's most cowardly podcast network. Hello and welcome to Scaredy Boys, a podcast where three cowardly friends discuss horror movies. I'm Damien. I'm Sean. And I'm Tom. And for this episode, we watched Gerald's Game. Gerald's Game is the 2017 psychological horror film directed by Mike Flanagan based on Stephen King's 1992 novel of the same name. The film stars Carla Gugino and Bruce Greenwood as a married couple who arrive at an isolated house for a holiday. When the husband, Gerald, dies of a sudden heart attack, his wife, Jessie, is left handcuffed to the bed without the key and with little hope of rescue. So begins Jessie's harrowing fight for survival where she must also confront long-buried demons within her own mind and possibly lurking in the shadows of her seemingly empty house. Uh, it is another very special episode this week because we are once again joined by our friend Michael Shanks. Welcome, Shanks. Hey, hey. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Good to have you. And uh, mm, love to be had. It's it's <laughs> nice to have you in a movie that didn't scare the shit out of me, but did mm. give me the worst thing I've ever had to witness. So fuck you for oh, that. Oh, <laughs> I already know what that is. Well, I mean, partly because I've seen it's it. Pretty bad. <laughs> it's bad. Like I, I knew Mike Flanagan loves it, doesn't he? Oh. He's done it twice now. Yeah. Cheeky. Oh, he has too. Mm. Yeah. Oh. This one's the worst of the two by it's, far. Oh, the, the other sure, one is comparably yeah. very tame. Because it's pretty quick. Shanks, do you want to just tell our audience what we're actually talking around? <laughs> so tonight we are well, we're watching uh, Gerald's Game, as you've already said. But mm-hmm. um, it features a uh, an amazing sequence of a human hand being degloved. And for <sighs> anybody that doesn't know what degloving is, imagine if your skin were a glove, and imagine taking the glove <sighs> off. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's basically what happens, uh, which we're ultimately, you know, this is kind of a bit of a spoiler as our character is handcuffed to a bed uh, in danger of starving and being feasted upon by not one but two people or uh, creatures. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, last resort is, you know, like Saw, to get out of the handcuffs, you've got to cut off your leg. She thinks, well... If I can slice my skin open, the, the blood will lubricate. And then she does that at the wrist. But then in pulling her hand out, it grinds uh. up against the handcuff and just completely unravels the flesh. And it is yep. it shows you yeah. it, yep. you know, which I, which I love. Because one thing that I get frustrated by with 
horror that is, you know, within a sort of, you know, slightly schlockier, slightly kind of more, you know, uh, goop and gut stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I don't like when you're watching like a slasher film, you don't see the, the gore. Right. <laughs> because that's kind of the kind of the point. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, not to just get too kind of horror houndy or, you know, too like, um, what do they call it? Gore porn? Not, not mm. just like for that sake. Not Eli Roth, but like a, an Evil Dead type realm. Absolutely. And here it's earned, you know, you spend the whole film leading up to this and it kind of knows that like, after this, you know, th- this is the end of the horror of the film because you can't top this. <laughs> and they build an amazing rig, an amazing physical effects rig, yeah. and they let you see it. And it is oh boy, unbelievable. Yeah. I've seen this twice now, and both times I, I looked away a lot. And I, and I don't... I'm, I've got a, a strong stomach when it comes to gore on, on film. Mm, I'm fine no. with it. We do not have <laughs> it. I, like, I can feel, like... Every individual knuckle and membrane of my hand just oh, like no, it's, it's the tendons. tendons. It's the tendons. Oh, I don't. I don't want it's any tendons. Little, like, I just want smooth bits. little flippers from now on. Just little <laughs> penguin hands. Yeah, Oswald Cobblepot. Yeah, that's what I want to be. I want to be Oswald. <laughs> well, I, I forced myself to keep watching this, but to do so, I ended up with my finger between my teeth, and I was biting down so hard. <laughs> That I had literal teeth imprints in my finger for like an hour afterwards, but it was the only way I could keep physically watching yeah. what was taking place on scene. And, and yet we should clarify, like, you know, this this happens. It's the kind of one moment of real gore in the film. Like, this is not for sure. a, for anybody that hasn't seen it, this isn't a, a hostel, it's not a sore. It's really kind mm. of quite a psychological drama mm. for, for a lot of it, and yep. it builds up to this, and it feels earned because, uh, as explicit and awful that it is, it... It, it, it comes at a point where there is uh, nothing really else that you can imagine doing. Uh, right. And it's, uh, yeah, it, it's it's earned, I suppose. It's, the stakes it's have been pushed to a say. natural limit where this is the only outcome available. It's mm. not yes. like, yeah, yeah it's not like a, you've, it's not like they've just shocked you. It's like the film opens with a degloving. Like it comes right. in <laughs> right. as, at, like at the end of the second act, <laughs> yeah. moving into like the finale. I mean, it's, it's ultimately it, a, a victory move. You know, it is sort of what, where she breaks her shackles by doing so. Hmm. It's kind of what it's all been leading to. Literally breaks out of a shackle. Well, yeah, yes, yeah. And her hand breaks out of her hand, just frees herself from that awful, awful hand skin. Yeah, Ah. who needs it? That's what I say. Um, so Shanks, where did you did you just see this pop up on Netflix, or had you read the book? Like, what's your history with this movie? My history with this movie was uh, one of the reasons why I love it because it was like it was like a Sunday afternoon, and I didn't have any work to do, and I was just kind of chilling, mm-hmm. and I sort of said to my girlfriend, like, "Hey, let's let's watch a movie. This has got a dumb." Uh, this, this has got a, a. I love movies where people are trapped in a location they're trying to yeah. escape. That's just one thing. I watch every single one of them from the absolute, you know, best, you know, things like uh, maybe not the best, but things like Buried that I really, really yeah, love yeah, to yeah. like the absolute worst, like a film called Frozen where people are stuck on a chairlift. <laughs> I've or, seen that. Uh, a, Absolute dog shit. <laughs> Two thirty-seven degrees, where people are trapped in a sauna that won't stop oh eating up. Um, <laughs> and I'll, oh, I'll watch man. all of them. I'll watch the lowest mm. bottom of the barrel ones. And I'm so you know used to the two thirty-seven degrees of the mm. world that I saw this and thought, ah, this will be bad. This will be sure. a bit of crap. Yeah. And then I watched it and I thought, wow, this is like not only not like shit mm. and schlocky, mm. but it's like quite involving. It's pretty well acted it's really well written and it's got one of the scariest things i'd seen in a long time and one of the most horrific things it it just i'd never heard of mike flanagan i'd never seen any of his films and i've since uh consumed all i think there's one i haven't Mm -hmm. watched um and 
you know, this really sits right neatly in that pantheon mm-hmm. of, of why he is one of the uh, kind of uh, predominant uh, horror writer directors of our time. And so, yeah, it really just jumped out of me as it's not an amazing movie, but it's a, it's like a very competent yes. movie. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I was expecting something trash. Right. And I got like, ooh, give me more of this. <laughs> I need to know, how do they get out of the sauna in 237 degrees? Uh, the way that we get out of the, the 237 degrees is an awful movie for so many reasons, <laughs> not least of which, like, our main character is a, is a, is a woman and she's like you know sympathetic and we kind of like her but as soon as we get in the sauna the film decides she's a woman so she'd be shitty and hysterical and we immediately shift focus to the two guys in the group um and i think in the way we get out in the end is one of the guys just tackles the furnace (laughs) which which somehow kind of like blows up and and just i i i can't remember it's something like really random like that he tackles the furnace and it like blows the door off the hinge or something and uh, allows our lead character to escape wow but uh, ooh, it's, it's an awful, awful film. Incredible. Hey, um, Shanks, you briefly mentioned Dig Loving number two mm. before, which is from um, Doctor Sleep. We're all big fans of that. Did you love that movie? I did. I, I rewatched right. it really recently, yes. um, and I watched yeah. it the first time. I thought, yeah, that, that's good. And I've just yeah. rewatched it uh, recently, and kind of, kind of loved it. Like it is, it has such. It is the best. Uh, it has the good graces to not try and be a Kubrick sequel. Yes. Yeah. Like it's. Yeah. Uh, it uses the Kubrickian stuff in terms of iconography, which even if you haven't seen The, the Shining, is, is so like uh, present in our cultural osmosis that everybody mm-hmm. kind of understands it. But it's like, I'm just going to do my own little story and there's going to be some fan service here and there. Because I was thinking, like, imagine if it were just The Shining 2. Yeah. Right? And how blessed we are that it wasn't The Shining 2, yes, yes. which would simply be... Another family, it'd be like we bought a zoo, but instead of buying a zoo, it's like, hey, this old demolished hotel, you know, nobody goes in it anymore. And, and you know, they're kind of doing it up. And then we just see all the same ghosts. Yeah. It would just be, you know, a, a re-rinse of, of mm-hmm. all the beats and the way how all the alien movies are just re-rinses of that. Oh, I, I would love the trailer to that Shining 2, We Bought a Zoo, which just plays Sainsbury Hill in the trailer. <laughs> just as they're like renovating the, the, renovating the house and... Oh. <laughs> That'd be yeah. That turns into a DSERA at the end. Yeah. <laughs> what what a mashup! Oh, banger. <laughs> well, like the the Flan Man, Mike Flanagan, and Stephen King do seem to be a powerful combo, and I think it's because Flanagan seems to take the the core and the heart of Stephen King's work and kind of just give us that and and get rid of some of the sort of additional stuff that may be wild good, especially in a novel, doesn't need to be in a movie. Like we watched another one called Dreamcatcher, which was based on a Stephen King. Uh, novel and it tried to shove it all in and it was a train wreck of a film it was a fun time but it was a train wreck of a movie it's made by Mm -hmm. a man who did a lot of prescription medication while he was writing (laughs) the book and it shows i haven't seen uh dreamcatcher but i believe it's about alien shit weasels is is that right exactly right yeah (laughs) and i think i had heard from some podcast or something that like steven you know a lot of uh a lot of horror is about kind of the fear of like AIDS, particularly out of kind of like the later sure, 80s and, yeah. and onwards, whereby like people would have sex and they'd be punished for it because it was like you would have sex and that would give you this disease that would kill mm. you. But Dreamcatcher, maybe this is out my ass. I don't know where I heard this. I thought I heard Stephen King had mentioned that, you know, the AIDS epidemic was kind of a, more or less a thing of the past and people were, you know, cancer was the thing that was killing everybody. And you might get can you might notice you have cancer from looking down at your poo and seeing <laughs> that there's kind of blood in your stool and that might be the first. 
uh, kind of warning sign, and that was kind of the 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 bud, yeah, at the core at the beginning of uh, the Dreamcatcher. That makes sense, right? But yeah, I, I I really I really like Mike Flanagan, and he he does really good work. And like I said, I think he's very good at, at adapting Stephen King because, like you said, it is very much like a psychological movie where technically nothing's actually happening, like other than what's in her mind, and obviously we get a, her backstory. But he delivers it in this way that is incredibly engaging. And I found, by the end, incredibly moving. I wasn't expected to get moved by this movie. But there was one line where she's talking about, just to give some context to the audience, that she's talking about um, her husband who who kind of had her, who kind of had power over her that she had almost given him partially because of this background with her father who somewhat sexually assaulted her. And there's this incredible line at the end where she's sort of, she's freeing herself from them where she talks about her dad's shackles were silence and that her husband's shackles were comfort. And it's just incredible. Like I walked in this movie thinking, oh yeah, we're going to have a fun Stephen King time of this woman getting out of this, this, you know, locked room, basically. Watching a woman get out of bed. Right, yes, yeah. If you wanted to get this plot down to a line, that is it. A woman struggles to get out of bed. <laughs> right. But instead we've got this incredible theme of her facing her monsters, these actual real monsters in the real world. It's incredible. Yeah, there's... A lot of good stuff. That, that, it's very nice. It's it's more heartfelt, I think, than I was expecting it to be. And I think that's the thing that I know that we've resonated when we've watched Mike Flanagan films. I don't know if it's the same for you, Shanks, but where he mm. finds... And it's the same with Hill House. It's the same with the other Bly Manor and all that kind of stuff is that underpinning all of his stuff is heart. So it's like, here is someone that you care about. So I, I want to know... I want them to get through to the other side. I want them to, to survive. So many, I guess, some awful horror films, like, you know, you're through 37 degrees. <laughs> you don't care about anyone in any of the scenario. Mm. There's no other layer. It's just surface. But there's always these nice nice things going on here. And there's that, that beautiful motif of the eclipse throughout it. And especially yes. that yeah. red light that comes over her face anytime she's having like an awful dream or a nightmare. And then mm. that... Look, the ending of the film we'll get mm. to, but the final shot of the film of her walking down the street and the, the eclipse is ending, it's kind of like, well, that's a nice thing. Um, I mm. didn't need the 10 minutes before that, but yeah. that's kind of nice. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I could do a whole podcast on the final 10 minutes of the film because I, for me, I think this isn't a perfect movie. Mm. I, I don't even know if you'd necessarily call it a great movie. Um, I think it's a very, very good movie. Mm. But the final 10 minutes are so insanely bad to me <laughs> that I almost love them because they're, they're not bad. And like a, often you'll be like, I love this movie. And then the final 10 minutes were bad because it was like hateful mm-hmm. or it like uh, just became really uh, boring or something unexpected happened that was maybe like not where the story was going in kind of a negative way. This just this feels it, I'm almost certain that it wasn't, but it feels so crazy and tacked on mm. that it feels like a studio note after some test screenings or something. Right. It's like the movie ends at a perfect end point, And then we have a short film, yeah. <laughs> kind of a, a tangentially related short film yeah. that leaves you with such a strange taste in the mouth, or at least it did for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. That I was a bit frustrated. Have any of you guys read it? The book? Yes. Ages ago. Yeah. I'm assuming that's, that's all from the book. Yeah. Yes. I forgot that that was, because I remember reading the book and going, oh, well, I know there's a guy in the house. And then when the guy first showed up and I was like, oh, there's the guy. And then uh, mm. Bruce Greenwood's like, it's death. I'm like, oh, maybe I was wrong. 
because I have this whole thing. So I, I love and hate Stephen King in that he does these things that are so brilliant and they're tight and it's got an ending and it's fantastic. But one time he punched me in the face and, then- <laughs> and I just never been- <laughs> I was walking down the street and he just came up and he was he had white powder under his nose. He just punched me heaps. Um, no, but yeah, he, he, he just does this thing where it's not all the time. Sometimes his stories end and they end really well. But sometimes they mm-hmm. end and then he's like, here's, here's like... Here's like an extra paragraph. You're like, I didn't, I didn't fucking need that, Steve. Uh, what are you doing? And mm-hmm. this, this end of this reminded me of that. There's, there's an one of the best ones he does is this great short story about the boogeyman killing this guy's kids every time he moves house, and he's being charged basically with the murder of his family because, of course, it's not the boogeyman. And he keeps talking about every time he went in to find the boogeyman, there was a smell of like swamp, like a bog, and right. you know this psychologist is analysing him. And at the end of it, he's like, all right, you can go back. Um, Stamps his papers is like, yeah, this guy's insane. There's no such thing as the boogeyman, whatever. And the guy goes out to talk to the receptionist and he walks out and the receptionist is gone. And then when the, the guy goes back in, he's like, it, there's a, just a single sentence that says, the room smells like a bog and the cupboard door starts to open. And you're like, perfect. That's the perfect end to the story. But he writes two more lines and one of them is describing this swamp thing coming out, holding a human mask in its spade-like claw with the philosoph- oh. psychologist's tie around its neck. And it's like, Stephen, we didn't need that. <laughs> Just like we didn't need for the, the Moonlight Man to be a real man who eats people, who she just walks into a courtroom and confronts and leaves. Mm. Um, I won't spoil it, but the ending of, of Tenet has a line that I felt very similarly about, where almost the last line of the film is somebody saying, in this film there was time travel. And another character saying, yes, there was time travel. And then they both look at the camera to make sure the audience understood that. And then it cuts to credits. <laughs> it sounds a bit like that. Well, one thing that I, I did like um, in this, and I'm guessing is true of the, the book as well, Tom, you can tell me, is that it, it takes this idea of what would it be like to be handcuffed to a bed and not be out and be dehydrated and, and running out of time. And it really makes you feel that, like you, like the empathy towards the, the, the woman. What's her name? Uh, Jessie. Jessie, thank you. By Carla Gugina. Yeah, Gugina? she was great. Spy Kids mum. Spy yeah, Kids mum. I think this is the best I've ever seen her. I've never seen her play a role like this before. It's the only time I've seen her in a, in a lead role. She's great. Yeah, she's wonderful. I love Bruce Greenwood too, actually. Bruce Greenwood, amazingly ripped. Like, so ripped. Bruce- I know, right? I was very yeah. impressed. I was very happy for him. When he took his shirt off, I went, you worked hard, man. <laughs> he's way too ripped to then have that heart attack. <laughs> yeah. Well, then maybe, maybe he's roiding, you know? Maybe that's how he's got such a good rig. And i got to imagine, well, he's an actor that must be, you know, not 60, but mid-50s to getting there. He's getting up there. And yeah. he must read a script, and he's never been like a muscle hunk as, I, as mm. far as I've known him. He must read a script that's like, so I'm in my undies for... Because yeah, Americans all say Andes. Um, I'm in my, my bloody my bloody Dax um, for ninety percent of this film, and he's yeah. like, yeah. yeah, yeah, they don't know that I can do this and pull it off. And he pulls <laughs> it off. He looks great. Yeah. Well, do you know he's seventeen? Sorry, he's fifteen years older than Carla. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Like, that worked for the characters. Well, mm. yeah, but he just is amazing for his age. Yeah. But yeah, to go back to my point, so the the idea of like torture of having someone in this tortured situation and really going through the beats of what would that look like. Because there was another book of Stephen King's that he wrote under his pseudonym, Richard Bachman, called The Long Walk, that I've read. And basically the premise for that one is there's like, I think it's like a 100 teenage boys basically going to almost this reality TV contest where if you win, you get everything. You get set up for life, kind of like Hunger Games style. But basically the whole premise is you keep walking until you either die 
or win the thing. And mm. if you stop walking, someone will shoot you in the face. Jesus. And it's this, and you're like, that's a wild premise. How much cocaine he, did you do, Kingy? How much? <laughs> Just, I'll move my hands. You say when. <laughs> but the way he deep dives into it and, and goes, well, what would that actually look like? And what would each of the characters be thinking? And what would the reactions be? And what would the variety of reactions be? What would they talk about while they're just walking for so long? What would you feel like when you're walking for so long? Was weirdly engaging because it, it genuinely puts you in the scene. And I felt the exact same thing watching her in this situation, like where she's got the water so close and she's got, you know, potential freedom feels like it's close, but also unattainable. And so it goes through those beats one by one. And I don't know. I, I, I thought that was awesome. Like the way she made the straw out of her um, tag, fantastic. Yeah, great. Yeah. I mean, I know that it's a segment of this podcast coming up, but one of the things that I think is wonderful about how, one of the reasons I love people trapped in an environment, what could you do, is it makes you run through your head. What would I do in this mm-hmm. situation? And then when a character does something that's like clever, not so clever that it's unbelievable, right. but just clever enough that you'd be proud of yourself yes. to do it. You feel proud of the character <laughs> yeah. for doing it. And like in this, as you said, the, the, there's, you know, she manages to get a glass of water, but because of a handcuff, she can't get it close yes. enough to her face. But we've set up earlier that um, she's got removed the tag off of a new uh, silk slip that, she, you know, she's kind of wearing as a as, as sort of a sexual mm. accoutrement. <laughs> and, and that's within reach. So she manages to, you know, curl that up into mm. a straw and, and use that to get yep. the water in, into her mouth. And that's also just like... Uh, you know, think of setup and payoff as one of the most classic uh, things in filmmaking and uh, Chekhov's guns, yep. etc. And just, I love, you know, watching this film for the second time. And it's, it's not necessarily unclear on the first time, but just when they're getting into bed and they're about to kind of, you know, start a sexual congress, uh, Bruce Greenwood just placing the glass on the shelf above the, above the bed. And there's a close-up of it. And I just love that little thing of like, you know, just a little close up yeah. and then we're back just to make sure everybody noticed yeah. that that glass yeah. is up there. It's like a little wink and yeah. then on hmm. with the story. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's subtle enough whereby you, there's another version where he says like, oh, where am I going to put this glass? Oh, I'll put it on that shelf up there. Never mind. I'll finish that later. And, the audience, <laughs> yeah. and that's like beating yeah. it over the head. But it, it's, it's just, you know, the right amount of focusing on it. And that's there. Yeah. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a, it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. 
Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, let's let's jump into. Were we scared throughout this movie? Yeah, I was. Um, not. We've we've watched worse. I think bigger scares. But for course, me, yeah. probably the scariest aspect was when the Moonlight Man came into it, and then it mm-hmm. made me think a lot. Actually, of all the way back to the first episode we did on Blair Witch Project, where the great thing with that was the fear that we start to have from the impending nightfall that's coming. And I think this movie did a great job too, especially when yeah she just knows that when darkness falls, I can't fall asleep or mo- like the the moonlight man's coming back sort of thing. And there was the, there was a real fear of that. Yeah. You felt safe during the daylight and you knew that when it got dark, you were in for a bad time. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I agree. But the moonlight man parts, just like that, the creepy figure standing in the shadows will always trigger fear in me. Yeah. Um, so I found them very creepy and it did make me think, so I haven't, uh, watched any of his TV shows because I'm too much of a coward. <sighs> but it did make me think, like, this must be the tip of the iceberg. Like, if I can't handle Moonlight Man, I'm not going to be able to handle a whole house full of ghosts. It's yeah. just not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, don't watch Hill House if you... Yeah. <laughs> I want you to watch it because it's so good. Yeah. But it's also easily the scariest thing I've ever seen. It I is think. great. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like, I've... I've talked about this with these boys before, Shanks, but I'm like, I'm so torn between genuinely wanting to watch it and seeing Mike Flanagan's work and loving it and also knowing it's like committing myself to 10 hours or whatever of just being terrified. I find that really difficult. What does work? I've conjured her across the two podcasts that we've done, um, but uh, my girlfriend doesn't watch horror. Mm -hmm. Like She she can't deal with it, but I make her. her. I'm just, you know, that that every 20 times I suggest a film and it's a horror film, she has to say, you know, yes, you know, from time to time. Um, And we we ended up watching... uh, She does a thing called... When we watch a horror film, Mm. she will Google a website called wheresthejump.com. Oh. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. Is I'm that not. like doesthedogdie.com? Uh, I can imagine. That I can <laughs> infer what that website is. I imagine, <laughs> yes. Um, so wheresthejump.com tells you if a dog has died. Um, it, it, you know, you, you type in the film and it'll tell you the time codes as to where the jump scares happen. Yeah. It'll label it with a level of severity oh. of what the jump scare is, as well as... Uh, you know, sometimes it's spoiler tag, sometimes it's not, depending on the severity of like the spoiler of yeah. like if you really want to know what's going to happen. And and so you know, we will watch shows like like that, and yeah. she will have you know research that stuff. And a lot, she'll just touch the remote so that the time code comes up, so she can like, okay, cool, <laughs> twenty seconds. And so I know when a scare is going to come now because I'm quite scared, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, scared yeah. of stuff too. That when when I notice that nothing scary is happening, but Louis is uh, covering her eyes, <laughs> and I'm like, oh no, and now I'm extra scared. The, um, and we watched The Haunting of Hill House, which is why I bring it up. And, yeah. um, you know, she loved it. You know, we, we got through it. It wasn't too bad. She did have that as an aid. Although there was one point where we were so engrossed. And for Sean and Tom, who have seen the show, there is the the biggest jump scare in that show. Shanks, is it in a car? It's in a car. It's yes. in a car. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I don't know how I'm alive. I nearly it died. Is <laughs> unreal. And... It, it happened, and the thing is, what well, the, the great thing about that jump scare is, well, as well as just being like just like a classic jump scare, it's like, sorry, I'm talking around this a lot, but do you remember that old maze game where you'd play the maze game and then a face would go blah yeah. at you? Yeah. The reason mm-hmm. that was so effective was because that you're you're playing a game where you have to keep a guy, you know, a little pixel from touching the walls, but mm-hmm. the walls are getting thinner and thinner and thinner and thinner and thinner. So then, when the jump scare happens, you're at such a thin little level, you're like squinting and you're so close to the screen. 
whilst they're not pulling a pillar house, this jump scare happens in an incredibly engrossing, intense, emotional yeah. scene. Oh. There's no horror in it at all. It's just people like working out their shit, and you're like on the edge of your seat because finally the secrets are coming up. Like finally they're connecting, right. and so much so that Louis had completely forgotten that the time code was coming up where a jump scare <laughs> was. And then not only does a jump scare come, it's the biggest jump scare ever, <laughs> and she f- screamed and looked at me. And the jump scare is a woman's face comes out and screams. Mm. And then this thing scared me. I looked over and saw another woman's face screaming next to me. So I looked scared. And she was so annoyed that I looked scared because that scared her that she hit me. That was was just this amazing moment of... (laughs) She went full defense mode and just went... (laughs) Oh, Um, God. Despite that moment, I yes. highly recommend okay. uh, yeah. Phil House. Sorry, that was a long tangent. I wonder oh, what the sorry. severity rating of that scare was on that website. Oh, surely huge. That would be off the chart. <laughs> yeah. They were like, we, we actually don't have a rating system for this one. Uh, yeah. We're so it sorry. It broke the website. Yeah. I, I want to just quickly, before we keep moving on, uh, Shanks, you said when you were talking about this that this has a one of the scariest scenes you had seen in a while. Mm. Is it? Is it the man licking her foot? It's the man licking oh, her foot. Oh, yeah. Oh, I yeah. hated that so much. It's... It comes out so for we haven't really clarified who the Moonlight Man is really, mm. but as well as being you know stuck to this bed, um, oh there's there's a lot to say about this film, but like you know, you know she, she's stuck to this bed. There is a uh, she left the front door open, and there is a dog uh, like a like a rabid dog that she is already you know to show she's got a, a good heart, yeah. which is nice foreshadowing because Bruce Greenwood's heart not so good, not great because um, <laughs> it's about to explode. Um, that, that this dog comes and starts eating her husband's corpse in front of her, and you know that it's going to start eating her when mm. he kind of gets sick of that rancid meat. But to top things off, she wakes up in the middle of the night, and she's not sure if there's somebody in the corner of the room, but she feels like there is. And we see kind of the outline of um, of absolute god, Carol Stroiken, or Carol Struken, mm-hmm. um, an iconic actor who is like seven foot tall, a giant of a man you might recognize from Twin Peaks or Star Trek The Next Generation. Um, just an absolute king of, um, I think he's in the Adams Family uh, as well. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, there's this character that appears in the middle of the night, and we don't know if he's, he seems to be a kind of supernatural force, like mm. the representation of death that maybe people who die of fear see. You know, he's kind of waiting there. He's got a bag full of trinkets, mm-hmm. presumably collected from the souls that he, you know, it's a very kind of classic mythological figure. And yet, after the first night we see him, there is a bloody human mm. footprint on the ground. And it leads to the question of, is was that a specter or was that a guy mm-hmm. and they're both scary for different reasons oh, yeah, it's one it's yeah, scary if death is watching you two it's scarier if there's a real guy that's just watching you <laughs> chained and starving to death yeah um but there's a moment in it whereby you know and again to kind of give you an idea of this film like it's it's sorry i'm talking around stuff here that's what i do but um we talked about how it's adapted from a book to me watching it it's it was it's really clear that it's adapted from something i think mm. it would be quite easy to watch it and go oh this is adapted from a play because yep. it's incredibly theatrical mm-hmm. and not in like a super camp super flamboyant way but in its conceit of how do you make this interesting it's one person trapped to a bed yeah but the corpse of her dead husband comes back to life manifesting as a kind of ghost as her subconscious yeah. and we end up with a kind of devil and angel on her shoulder mm, as she's yep. seeing herself and the the and a manifestation of her husband kind of taunting her and helping her and yep. going through her trauma and uh on top of that there is uh you know some real uh, childhood abuse that she has uh tucked away and mm-hmm. has not been facing um, that she is forced to confront throughout the course of this, which kind of gives her the kind of the strength as she, you know, takes that and, and, and it empowers her as she kind of looks that more so in the eye. 
Um, and during one of those flashbacks, we're in a long scene with her as a child. And from the child's point of view, we think that we can hear some licking and she looks down and we think that, you know, the dogs, you know, her pet dogs maybe like licking her toes or something. But suddenly in this memory, she looks down and God actor Carl Streaken, uh, Carol Streaken is just going to town on this like 13 year old <laughs> oh. girl's feet, just oh. going. Yeah. <laughs> and he's a strange looking guy. And what's great about the, the shot, which makes it so fucking scary, is that there's no dunk. There's no, uh, no. jump scare sound. It just cuts to it, and the sound uh, stays as natural as it was when mm. we just heard some licking off screen. So it feels really invasive. It feels a lot more, it feels a lot realer. It feels like somebody's mm. licking your own toes. Yes. It, 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 yeah. it, the uh. abstraction of horror is further away than it usually it is. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's amazingly effective. It's gross, and his eyes are yellow, and no thank you. What would be incredible. <laughs> it's completely shocking. If this, if this, this film and book had its cake and just left it alone and was like, what if mm. you're not sure? Is it real? Maybe it's just a hallucination of a subconscious. And instead this movie is like, hey, what if in the last 10 minutes we had this whole subplot about a guy who was robbing graves and like maybe he's real? Yeah. But but that, that scene of, of waking up and your toes are getting licked must just be the absolute ever, ever present fear of any neighbor to Quentin Tarantino that one day they will wake up and he will just be noshing like mad his eyes are yellow and it's terrifying (laughs) alright well I'll ask the question I think we've already sort of semi-answered it but did our characters act wisely or foolishly should have shut the door fucking hell fucking hell that I messaged both of you. I was so angry when that <laughs> happened. Yeah. Literally, just all caps, why the fuck didn't she close the yep. door? I didn't even tell you that I was watching the movie when I sent you the <laughs> no. message. You just had to imply that from what I was saying. Yep. <laughs> I, thought you were in, I thought you were actually in real danger, so, but I'm, I'm glad as to know just a reaction to a movie. But yeah, she prob- probably, probably should have closed the door, especially when she's like, she's just given the dog Wagyu... Beef over here. Outrageous. Outrageous. <laughs> Outrageous. Uh, which he then either finishes and decides he wants more or he discards for human flesh. Maybe it's great. Maybe it's, look, I've I've had Wagyu. I've never yeah. had human flesh. So who am I never, to say? Never had Bruce. <laughs> never had a bit of a slice of Bruce Greenwood. No. Yeah, yeah I mean, that. he is a snack. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he is. But yeah, otherwise, I think, I think Carla or Jesse did very well given the incredibly awful situation she was put in. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the other things that, you know, like that they, they make a point to mention that the bed head is reinforced. You can't break it. Yes. Um, the, the easiest thing to think of is if Hey Siri were a thing at the time Mm. that seemingly would solve the issue. But even then when we eventually do get, uh, sorry, my, my Siri has taken off. (laughs) 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 See, it works so easily. Um, I hope people are listening to this and your voice (laughs) triggers their Siri. Yes. That would be great. Um, Hey Siri, subscribe to Tim Tim fed on YouTube. (laughs) Does that work? Uh, but even then, when we get the phone, you know, it's, it's out of battery. So they acted dumb in that regard. If you're going to be in an isolated place, mm. charge your phone. Yeah. Come yeah. on, guys. Yeah, that's it. That's it. All right. Well, I'm going to jump ahead to, to I think, probably the weirdest hypothetical we've ever had on this show. Because I can only imagine for the what would we do, the four of us need to be tied up by Bruce Greenwood mm-hmm. for sexual congress. I'm listening. Yes. Jackpot, baby. I'm, I'm waiting to hear the, the bad part. All right. Then let's dive in. So the four of us are tied up by Bruce Greenwood for sexual mm-hmm. acts. Uh, go. I want to get the spike from Captain Pike. <laughs> <laughs> Does that work? 
<laughs> I reckon I could crack the bed. You reckon? Do you th- okay, well, okay, hold on. Are all four of us in the same bed or are we in separate rooms and Bruce is just doing a <laughs> Russian roulette on us? Like, what's the what's the situation? If we're in the same bed, Bruce has got a voracious appetite. <laughs> I mean, he's down to Viagra. He's ready to go. <laughs> he took one pill for each of us. <laughs> yeah. And that's what killed him. I think we're all in uh, the same bed. All right. So they're four sets of handcuffs. Yeah, and I like this because it actually makes it slightly different to the actual film. Like, can the four of us work together to get out of this situation? Surely the four of us could break that bedhead. I think so. But also, okay, here's how it actually just pans out. So, which one of us is prepared to deglove? Oh, because ooh, not all of us have to do it. I don't. Only one of us has to do it. So, which one of us? Is is degloving, and how do we come to that decision? No, 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 no. We can't draw straws. Yes, no, no. I like this. This is uh, impossible because nobody's going to volunteer themselves. No. Although it's yeah. a podcast, so it's hypothetical. So you could just be a dick and be like, "Nah, I do it, guys. It'll be fine." And no one will ever <laughs> check this. So you no. just like become a hero. I um, I haven't any courage. It won't be me. We're all for honesty on this podcast, so we're all happy to to announce ourselves as cowards. We have to draw straws. We can't. We don't even have yeah. straws. Yeah, we got that one straw. We can cut it up into four pieces. Okay, Okay, Sean, how? What do you mean? How? Tear it up. (laughs) You got a free hand and a mouth. Well, I've got a free hand. Maybe I can get it into your mouth. We've got, you'd be able to tear it if you had two hands, right? Well, we've got four hands between us. We've actually got eight hands between us. We've actually got eight hands, Sean. Yeah, but but four of them are are tied up. We're in an explicitly sexual situation already. Mm. So presumably we have consented to this and we've consented about being sexually involved. It's a race to who can come last. (laughs) So it is in your best interests to find a way to ejaculate. I mean, that just seems like a fair thing because none of us are going to want to de-glove in any particular way. So we have to kind of... Because we can't access our genitalia via our hands, yeah. we have to kind of fight to foot job one another, <laughs> like as quickly as we can. Because I, I, I mean, that's about all I can think of. Or I think we're all writers. How erotic can our storytelling be to each other? Ooh, I like that. Just, just give me the hardest boner using just your words. Yeah. Hands free. A hands free come. A hands free hand job. <laughs> I mean, what else is in the room if we're there together? We could we could try and coax the dog over because... Nah, I know, don't trust that dog. It might eat my dick. Yeah, between the four of us, we've got three extra dicks yeah, mate. to spare. Your dick can be a sacrifice. We're flush with dicks. We're so... back to the degloving again. Tom, when your dick goes first, then you'll be like, you may as well deglove me. There's nothing left. We have long said that you are nothing but a penis. So without that... Yeah. It's that T-shirt I Your have, function. the man, the legend, with the arrows pointing right. in different directions. <laughs> I mean, we could kill the dog between us, right? We've got four sets of mighty yes. legs. Yep. Yep. But then the question is, how does, as I've asked many times in my life, how does the corpse of a dog help me? <laughs> That's an excellent question. Like, what can we do with it? Do we that? use the blood to, to, to grease up the... Cuffs, oh, is that the... Okay, yes. I yeah, thought I that's like what we were doing with the cum. I thought the cum was more like, uh, that's our short straw, whoever... Yeah, no, that, that, that yeah, is what yeah, I was yeah. thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Have you ever seen those try not to cum challenges on the internet? <laughs> this is that. You won't last 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah, Playing yeah. Monopoly. Exactly, like that. I thought that the cum was to get over the excitement of the situation and have a clear head <laughs> so right. we can figure out how to get out of there. He may still, he may be dead, but we're still in a room with, with a nude Bruce Green. Yeah, yeah. he's got yeah. us hot and heavy. We need to yeah. clear the decks. Oh, look, I know we're kind of getting towards the, the, the later end of the podcast, but we've spoken a lot about the final 10 minutes. Should we actually explain what the final 10 minutes oh, are? Yeah, please. Um, so the film ends, right? Like, she escapes. She kind of defeats the Moonlight Man. 
uh, by saying like I'm she says something like I'm not afraid of you and, mm. and sort of leaves or, or no she she gives him her wedding ring and he has a bag of you know trinkets and and bits and from like bodies and such and she leaves and she gets into a car and she escapes but you know is passing out from a massive deglove based uh, blood loss and crashes into a tree and the final thing that we see is she uh, is loose from the car accident and two neighbors are coming out with torches. Mm-hmm. Well, I thought they might be torch salespeople. <laughs> like, I thought, like, potentially they could be, like, fantastic. This torch business is finally kicking off. <laughs> and then we fade down to black and we fade up and she is, some months later, she's recovered. She's got a compression bandage on her hand mm-hmm. and she starts a voiceover. The compression bandage on my hand is what I'm using to write this letter. It doesn't make the pain go away, but maybe some letters should hurt to write. And then... Which is fine, you know, a tiny little denouement. I thought like she was maybe writing to her sister mm. because there were suggestions that maybe her sister would be molested by her father, which was a plot, or to perhaps the ghost of her father, you know, to kind of say, I don't forgive you for what you did, mm. you know, something like that. Uh, turns out she's, it's almost like 10 minutes, right? Yep. It's like of her writing a letter to her childhood self who still exists within a dream, which is fine, whatever, uh, you know, making peace with things. But instead of being like, it should just be something like this, right? Mm. Yeah, and I'm, I'm going to embarrass myself because anytime something that is a writer says like, it should have been like this, like this isn't going to be good, but it should be <laughs> something along the lines of, I never looked this in the eye, but this was uh, something I can never get past. He took my childhood from me, mm. but now I'm going to set you free because we've got a lot of life to catch up on and there's nothing wrong with you or what you did. You know, something like that, a, a, a letting go. But instead she says like, Anyhow, so now I'm back. And uh, you know what? There was a settlement, and I got a lot of money from my husband's death. We kept it out of the papers. I started a psychiatry office, and now I tell our story every single day. That could also be the end. But you know what? <laughs> Randomly, I started looking into this crypt creeper who was some sort of like a local murderer across all these different states. And apparently, they found where he lived, and there was a brother and a sister that he had killed and was eating their faces. He called them Mummy and Daddy. Um, anyhow, it turns out that was a real guy, and it's just like a whole like law and order mm. episode that she explains. <laughs> <laughs> to the point where ultimately he's being charged and it is the Moonlight Man. He was a real guy. Oh. And she wa- waltzes into yeah. the courtroom one day and it's even like lit badly. It's like lit like a soap opera. It's yes. like really yeah. kind of corny. And she just walks in, waltzes it even. Nobody cares <laughs> that like in the middle of this trial of a man who's not yeah. said a word. A um, very high profile trial. Yes. Huge. And, and she just struts through the middle opens up the gate from where the audience sits and just walks into the trial. Nobody's, like, tackling her or, like, pulling a gun on her. And she just, like, walks up to the guy. The guy turns around and says, You're not real. You're made of moonlight. <laughs> and his hands, like, explode out of the handcuffs in ways that she oh. wishes hers could. Yeah. And it's like, what is this, like, <laughs> boss battle she's about to, you know, see? And she looks him in the eye and goes... Hmm, you're a lot smaller than I remember, which is insane because he's like (laughs) 20,000 feet tall. She then like struts out of the courtroom with nobody banging gavels and shouting (laughs) contempt or dare and throwing her in a gulag forever for this crazy, crazy uh, impingement upon the legal process. She then like walks out, basically looks at the camera, puts on a pair of sunglasses like she's Dave Caruso from fucking CSI, and then turns down the street and walks off as, again, this eclipse symbol that we've seen the whole film is clearing in the sky and the the sun shines again, which is a fine symbol, but it's also like, it's a very obvious symbol, Mm -hmm. which would be fine if it weren't after 11 minutes of the most (laughs) on the nose, I'm wrapping everything up, here was my arc, and I finished my arc, and also here's all this weird shit. It was kind of... Like, I again, I really, really like this movie, mm-hmm. and I think this is a huge 
missed it, but it's so goofy that it's kind of funny. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It almost it's feels endearing. like the end of Wayne's World where the bad ending <laughs> happens. And then they go, but well, actually, what if it went like this? Like, it's, it's as comical to me as, mm. as that. Yeah, it's almost like yeah. this like yeah. after-dinner mint of, hey, you had some scares in a deep loving. Here's a little wild tale about this yeah. big creepy bear. But don't worry, audience. Uh, she came out better for it. It's like you're too stupid to infer the arc that she's right. gone through emotionally that we have to see. But actually, her life is like better now, and mm. she's super empowered, and she's super fucking cool. She's got a cool glove. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing too, I will say is uh, there is a moment that I did like in that talking to her younger self, but you could just pick that mm. moment up because there's a bit where she's driving. And it's going red around her and then the moonlit man's in the back of the car and she says, oh no, and crashes the car. Mm. There's a moment where you could have that bit where she comes to see her younger self and she says something like, we we, we can see the sun again. And I'm like, "That that's a nice mm, moment. Mm. That's a nice line. Mm, she I could guess. have that moment in the car and then still crash the car. Like you could still have that yeah. bit exactly the same. I reckon we could just be fine because the Moonlight Man's not real because let's pretend that 10 minutes just doesn't happen. I liked that Moonlight Man was like this supernatural thing. Me too. Because like now that he's real, so when she's handcuffed to the bed, he's just... Because she's there for a couple days, yeah? So every mm-hmm. every night, he's just coming into that house and standing in the corner and watching her sleep. Like, Correct. it's just kind of dumb well, and as this, fuck. This isn't me being, being crass. Like, the epilogue, the denouement shows that he committed necrophilia. So mm-hmm. he is standing in that corner... He's jerking it, guys. That's what he's yeah. doing. He's not going to have to deglove himself because he yeah. came first. <laughs> That's what he's doing in that corner. Um, actually, sorry, just one one small tech observation. That's a, I think a really great, like kind of technical scare in the film. Like, yeah. I, know, I spoke before about that old maze game, and this is obviously like Flanagan is is an expert at this stuff. He's 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 the king. Um, that maze game that knows to get you to focus on the game as strongly as you can before the jump scare, and that makes you, it gives you the biggest, you know, kind of scare payoff. Whilst mm. in this, the final scare of the film really is that she's driving away from this place, and we kind of enter this kind of red lit, you know, nightmare realm. We think she's passed out, we're not sure. It's, you know, you know quite theatrical. It's great. And she's in the car, and we've pre established that uh, the nickname that her father, her abusive father, gave her was Mouse. And we suddenly see, ah, oh, there's a guy in the back seat. It's Moonlight Man. And then there's this great shot where he leans from the back seat right up to her ear. And it's quite a long shot. It's not like a just lean in, but he takes all this time to slowly lean up to her. And we're right in the ear and the camera's getting closer. And then she just says, mouse. And then it cuts from him saying mouse to slam the biggest car crash you've seen in 10 movies. <laughs> like, and and be, that the shock of that is so much stronger because, again, mm. it invites you to empathize with the leaning in and listening for a little whisper in your ear to be suddenly yep. cut with like something so violent and sudden and loud. And it's mm. an amazing uh, kind of push and pull, the, the elasticity of our like kind of narrative focus. It's, uh, it's really wonderfully done. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's jump from that awesome beat of filmmaking to us tied together coming on a bed. <laughs> uh, so what do, what do we reckon? How do we, how do we tie this one up? Is it, is it just that Tom lost his dick and we all get out of there? Or is yeah. it? And then a lawsuit. I get a new dick, mm, a better one, a better dick. Yeah, better <laughs> and you write it. You write a letter to little you yep. saying, "Hey, little me, we got a new dick, but it was the best thing that ever happened to me." Remember when we were kids and we thought, "Man, I wish we could have the rock's dick." Well, guess what? 
I do. <laughs> As a kid, you knew what The Rock's dick was like? I guessed. Tom, I think it's more accurate that you wanted Robocop's dick. Actually. And now you've got it. <laughs> I mean, The Rock's dick would be the people's dick. <laughs> yeah. So that would kind of work. That would be pretty good. Yeah. I've yeah. got the people's yeah, dick. Yeah, brahmable tattoo along the shaft. <laughs> <laughs> you, getting the, you getting Robocop's dick is like... Your eclipse going away. It's like, oh, you've walked <laughs> off into the sunset. Can I get, you know, in the movie uh, Hook, how he has like the different kinds of hooks? Captain <laughs> Hook has different hooks in his little. Yeah. I want different cocks. I want like a little, little like velvet case. Yeah. And I pop it open no, and it's I a bag. different attachments. It's a bag on. of dicks. <laughs> yeah. It's a bag of dicks. Yeah. <laughs> I got a bag of dicks. If you're in action mode, you could have the like, you know, revolver penis from uh, Dusk Till Dawn <laughs> that yes. Tom Savini wears. Oh my God. That would help us for future Skatey Boys. That's pages, pretty good. That's sure. <laughs> yeah, if, if that were within canon, what Tom has, yeah. neath his loins, <laughs> you'd get out of any of these scenarios. Ah, we'd be so safe. <laughs> Well, that is all the scary talk we have for this episode. I've been Damien. I've been Sean. And I've been Tom. And I've been Michael Shanks. And if you scary listeners have any comments about this episode or would like to say hi, you can email us at 3 at gmail.com or you can find us on Twitter at scaredyboys or individually. I'm at Midday Pajamas. I'm at Carney from 55. And I'm at Awkward Treed. And I'm at Tim Tim Fed. Shanks, thank you so much for once again coming on our show. It was an absolute treat. Oh, my pleasure. Sorry about the degloving scene. That's <laughs> <laughs> all right. Tom got a new dick. Yay! It all worked out. Stay scared, everyone. We're flush with dicks. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.